when a girl acts out in a different way, instead mm. of trying to identify what the underlying causes of that behavior is, a lot of times we label those girls. You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back everybody to the Disrupting Balance podcast. So glad you joined me. As you know, it's season two and it's all about busting big myths. And if you've listened in so far, you know there are so many myths that we are continually busting each day. Today's myth buster is Brie Islar. She is a former elementary school teacher who decided to walk away from her job and pursue her entrepreneurial career online. She works as a social media marketing strategist and entrepreneur. She is the mother of two beautiful daughters and a wife, but that is not all. The former educator is no stranger to trials and tribulations as she experienced sexual trauma as a child that she hid from her family for a very long time. And in the midst of dealing with that inner turmoil, she also longed for a father figure growing up in a house with a single mother and her sister. She has also dealt with severe health issues with herself and her family. But for Brie, her faith has always been her fuel from a very, very young age. And it has literally allowed her to turn all of that pain and turmoil into a passion and purpose where she helps other women stand in their entrepreneurial power. In this episode, she talks about pivoting from education into entrepreneurship and also about how her faith walk was different from her husband's and how she learned to nurture through sickness and healing. To find out how to follow Brie Islar, check out the show notes. So today in the Disrupting Balance guest chair, we have Brie Islar. How are you, Brie? I'm good, thank you. That is good. I'm so glad you were you're here today and joined us. I, I'm just really excited for our conversation. So I want to jump right in with the first question, and that is, what is your story? Um, I would say that my story is still evolving. Um, it's still growing, but I think my story is one of overcoming. I guess just finding my way in lieu of a lot of ups and downs in my life. Yeah. And so let's talk about that because when I think about overcoming, I think part of it is kind of coming to a place of realizing things aren't what you thought they were supposed to be or should be, and you realize there's something else, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the same idea of myths that we're talking about this whole season. So let's talk about some of those myths that you had in the early stages that you've since overcome. There were so many myths. 
I think for me growing up in the single parent home that I grew up in, um, a lot of what I saw as my reality was all that I, you know, determined life to be. Um, and so one of the, I guess one of the biggest myths, or I don't know if it's really a myth, but it's just one of the things that I didn't really understand um, was the balance between mom life and your life outside of your home and how, um, you know, for me growing up in the home with my mom, who was like an amazing provider, like super strong, um, but we just didn't have like that mom impact. We didn't have that nurture kind of existence or experience. And so one of the myths for me was just that I was supposed to be just super strong and independent and self-sufficient. Um, and that, that is not anything wrong with being those things. It's not necessarily that it's a myth, but that's all that I really knew. I didn't really know a, another side of womanhood, I think. And then did you find that the nurturing piece was something you had to learn to practice with your own children? Or was it something that just came naturally because you wanted that piece? It was definitely something that I lacked and desire and immediately I put in way, I put way more emphasis on um, because I, 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 I knew even growing up that it was something that I wanted. Um, so I knew when I became a mom, it was something that I really was going to be intentional about giving to our girls. And did you always know you would, you wanted to be a mother? Yes. Yeah. Tell me um, a little bit more about how your mom's journey informs your own journey. I know you talked a, a little bit how she was a strong provider and really was able to give you what you needed and kind of lay a foundation of hard work. How else did your mom's rearing of you inform your role as a mother? Because I think my mom and my younger sister were really, really close. I, I think I just wanted to have another parent in the house that I connected with in that way. Um, mm -hmm. And so seeing the balance between um, my mom really trying hard to be um, effective for my sister in ways that met her needs. And then also um, trying to figure me out so that she could also be able to meet the needs that I had, which is that, um, that, that imbalanced balance that she continues to juggle even to this day that really mm -hmm. affected, um, it affected my understanding of motherhood and it also affected how I identify myself to my mom um, as mm -hmm. her daughter. So that is interesting because when we spoke previously, you talked about uh, the more recent dynamic with you mm -hmm. and your mom and how you became more of a caregiver for her. Yeah, yeah what was it like for you and how have, how did that help you kind of grow even more in that understanding of the relationship? Well, I would have to say, um, by the time I graduated from high school, I was just ready to get away from my mom. <laughs> I remember not having a desire to come back home. And I found out in my freshman year of college that my mom had a brain tumor. And it was one of those things that she really had managed to keep from my sister and I all of our lives. It, it made me compassionate. I've, I've always been an empathetic person. 
Um, and I think sometimes it's to my own disadvantage, but hey, mm. it is it's just how God made me. Um, and I began to see my mom in a different light. Um, mm-hmm. I cared about her well-being. While I didn't always get along with her, I loved my mom, you know, and so I began to see her in a different light, seeing then that she struggled all of our lives to make a way for my sister and I. Um, and so I, I began to appreciate and, and care about her in a different way. And so um, fast forward years later, my husband and I got engaged in 2010 and she was diagnosed with a lung condition um, shortly after we got married. And, you know, just seeing her health deteriorate, my mom was super strong, self-sufficient, independent. Like when you think independent woman, you see my mom, like she built our back our deck in our backyard. Like we did the wow. whole full renovation in our house. She's well-educated. Just When I think of a strong black woman, immediately I think of my mom um, and seeing her health deteriorate and her having such a hard time just catching her breath. You know, this woman that once upon a time could build and do anything, you know, really relying on other people to figure out what her issues were with her health. I just immediately saw her in a different light. And for me, it was not even a question. I stepped in as my mom's oldest child to, you know, see to her that anything that I could do to be of assistance and helping her, um, you know, figure out how to sustain her life, I did. Because of that process and seeing her in that way um, that I learned what nurture is, I think my mom learned a lot from how I took care of her. It's just the way that God allowed for things to happen. I don't, you know, hold against my mom at all, um, what my childhood looked like and, you know, the things that I felt that I lacked because it got allowed for me to teach her some things as well. I began to see her as a human, as a woman, as a friend. It was, it was a, a difficult journey because again, I had just gotten married, um, but it was, it wasn't a question for me um, that I had to step in and do. And so let's think about that strong black woman trope because there are different um, views on the whole thing. Why do you think people take issue with that? Like what would be your assessment of people's issues with that trope? When it comes, first of all, just to a black woman, many people are intimidated just by that, you know, just the fact that she's a black woman. Um, But to take it a step further and add more labels to it where She's an educated Black woman. She's an empowered Black woman. She um, is aware of her power as a Black woman. When you start to identify all of those things, I think a lot of times people just become intimidated by it. I think um, oftentimes it's it's just a reflection of their lack of security and who they are that, you know, really rubs people the wrong way to see a woman, you know, so sure of herself. I mean, when I tell you my mom is one of those women, like, she doesn't, she does not take mess. <laughs> she does not, she's a no cut cards, you know, she's not a coddling type of woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and she demands, I mean, when she opens her mouth, you know, she's in the room, you know, you know, immediately what you're standing up against. She has, um, you know, a law degree and she's, you know, just very well educated, outspoken, and she's black to be the type of woman, again, who can do and provide whatever, like, there's nothing that you could bring to her that she couldn't have brought for herself times 10. 
And I think when you have that type of confidence in yourself, um, sometimes it can be uh, intimidating for other people. It was especially sometimes hard for our kids. You know, it was sometimes hard for my sister and I to be around, you know, when other people experienced it because we were of a different generation where it was like, okay, you know, you're coming off a little strong, but in the end, now that I'm, you know, older in hindsight, I see it as power, you know, mm. being a black woman is a powerful, um, is a powerful role. It's a powerful thing to understand and embody. And my mom was ahead of the game. She's from Arkansas. Um, my family is, you know, they're an affluent family in the South. Uh, and she was raised that way. My grandmother was the same way. My grandfather um, was the same way, you know, and so they were raised to be that way and to know who they were at a time, especially when Black wasn't, you know, beautiful to a lot of people. It wasn't celebrated the way that it is now. And so mm -hmm. to have grown up in the city, you know, uptown in D.C., uh, being raised by a country girl, it was a really big contrast in what we saw and knew as a reality um, that we didn't really uh, appreciate until, at least I didn't really appreciate until now much older. When I hear you talk about your mom, though, I, I hear some of you based on what we talked about previously, mm -hmm. like you dealt with your own uh, number of challenges and triumphs and pushed through so much. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of that, some of those challenges, or even the one of the biggest challenges that you had to, at some point, learn to deal with or work through. The biggest challenge that I had to live, that I had, that I'm continuing even now, um, to push through and um, to not allow to completely consume me is the fact that I was sexually molested as a child. Um, mm. It was one of those things that I experienced, and I remember the first time when it happened, I went home and I told a cousin who has since passed away, and. Mm. I remember telling her what had happened and neither of us really understood what was, you know, what we, what we were discussing. And it was one of those things that I kept to myself for many, many years. My mom didn't find out about it until I was 19. The first time it happened to me, I was in the third grade. Wow. Um, so I carried that with me privately my whole life. It manifested itself in different ways throughout my behavior as a girl. Um, where I was misunderstood. I think it was one of those things where I think oftentimes, especially in the Black community, when a girl acts out in a different way, instead yeah. of trying to identify what the underlying causes of that behavior is, a lot of times we label those girls, oh, she's fast. When oftentimes, and this is not 100% always the case, but oftentimes these girls have been exposed to um, behaviors really, really toxic, um, traumatic experiences that change who they are, that remove the innocence that is in them um, and no longer allow for them to be the little girls that we're stereotypically expected to be. What happened to me, it tarnished me. I had a scarlet letter that was invisible where my mom didn't know what was wrong. She didn't know what had happened, but she saw a change in me. She was so busy. She was providing. She was you know, working for the government and doing all the things and taking care of my sister and I and traveling the world and she just knew something and it was more like, oh, she's just fast. 
I don't know what this is or, you know, and so it became a thing of like whoopings instead of conversations, Mm -hmm. punishment instead of conversations, Um, you know, bringing different people into the family to come and talk to me um, because I don't know what else to do. You know, it it was never um, this valuable conversation that needed to have been had where it was like, what happened? Um, That conversation was not one that was had. And even when I was 19 and the situation was revealed to my mom, she still didn't know how to address it with me and she still at that time flipped it back on me oh so is that why you did this and that and not Mm. still at Mm -hmm. that time um at a place where she was able to digest it the right way and really you know take ownership of her role as my mother and what happened to me I I mean I've gone through therapy I've, I've fought really really hard to overcome the trauma that comes with that because it's nightmares it's really post-traumatic stress where you're just constantly, you know, being reminded of different things that you're not able to just block out of your mind that really, you know, play into who you are as a woman. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that part of your life experience. And how much of a role does faith play in your healing and your push through? It is almost like 100% of how I have been able to push through. Again, I wanted to have that father. You know, I wanted that dad figure. I wanted a father because my mm-hmm. mom and my sister were so close. I wanted that because, you know, I, I, I felt a lot of times growing up, I didn't have anyone. Um, and so when I was introduced to Christ and began to understand that he was my heavenly father, it was like, so like, there's like this dad in heaven who's looking out for me, who, you know, I, I didn't ever have this moment where it was like, why did this happen to me? Because I didn't, you know, it was, I was so young, I didn't really understand it. But it was understanding that um, God can take the most traumatic experiences in your life and use them, not just for his glory, ultimately, but to build you and grow you Um to help someone out, you know, it was understanding the sovereignty of God and how all things work together um, for your good. And it is what continues to keep me together because honestly, some days I'm just, it's just one more thing on my mind. So, you know, my faith is really what sustains me. It is really what keeps me um, because honestly, if I didn't have something greater to believe in, to um, look to, I don't know that I would still be alive, to be honest. I don't I don't know mm-hmm. that I would. And what was the turning point for you in your faith? Like, when did you know that you knew that you knew? What happened or what was the experience? Okay, so my mom raised us in a very Christian home, a, a very religious home, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, we had regular prayer every morning. She would get us up to pray before school. She would pray with us before bed if she didn't do one or the other. Um, we went to Sunday school, we went to church, like my grandfather was a preacher, I have uncles that are preachers, um, pastors, and so I've always known who God was, uh, but I remember, I probably was 12, and I was upset and crying and praying about something else, and I looked up, and I remember, and I could see it clear as day, even now, I had a pink bedroom, because pink has always been my color, and I saw an angel in my room while I was praying, and mm. it was as tall as the, the ceiling and mm. I just felt the presence and I felt that 
I was going to be okay, but I had to really come to an understanding of God for myself. And as I got older, of course, I still made tons of mistakes and tons of bad choices, but I always had a peace in knowing that when I sat down or lay down in the bed or whatever I was doing and prayed, I, I had a peace in knowing that God heard me. And I could tell you, I mean, there were so many times where I, I shouldn't have been alive and God mm -hmm. kept me. I've, I just had so many, so many um, experiences where I shouldn't be here. I should not be here today. Mm -hmm. And I just knew, you know, it was God. And so it was just continuing to get to know him for myself. And, um, you know, my mom would even tell us, you know, find a scripture that you stand on. That is what you hold, you know, true for yourself that encourages you. Um, you know, when you feel like you can't keep going. And for me, the scripture and even the scripture that I teach my girls is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. Mm -hmm. Because some days I just cry like that. I can't do anything else. I can't do this. Can't I tell God I can't more than I tell him that I can sometimes. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm one of those people that like, I don't debate my Christianity. I don't debate my, my faith in Christ. I don't debate my relationship with Christ. I always just encourage people, you know, get to know them, you know, find out a little bit about them, see, you know, seek him and see for yourself. Um, but I even was telling my mom, you know, I would rather live my whole life believing that there was a God um, than die and find out that what I thought was right while I was living was a lie. Um, and so that's really, you know, how I've, how I've maintained in a lot of ways. It's just in the God. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. And in your marriage, your relationship, do you find that you all are on one accord when it comes to faith? And was it always like that going in or or not? No. <laughs> you know, not too many people were as fortunate as I was in that way to have been raised by and, you know, completely indoctrinated in Christ as, you know, from from the moment they were born. You know, I've always been around it. And so actually my husband and I, we met in high school. I didn't think anything of him back then. Yeah. And um, when he was in his, his final year of math grad school, he reached out to me again years after we had graduated, obviously from high school. And he, he, didn't, he wasn't raised like I was. <laughs> he wasn't raised like I was. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, when we were dating, you know, He's always been very respectful, but um, my husband's ideals and perceptions of who God was were just so left field. I was like, oh gosh, like where are you getting this stuff from? Um, but for me, I prayed a lot for my husband even before he became my husband, because in my mind, I felt that God didn't bring us together. There was no reason for us to have connected if not for the fact that God wanted me to do something with my husband. Yeah. Um, and so for a long time, I, I wasn't even really romantically interested in my husband and for a minute. He was like, I love you and this, that, and the third. And I was like, hold on, pump your brakes. Like, no, nah, let's just hold it out. You know, wait a minute. Um, because mm -hmm. I wanted to just be an example of something different for my husband. I just wanted him to experience something different. Um, and, you know, even when we got married, we went through premarital counseling. Um, and so my husband's heart was softening towards God. He didn't have a hard heart. He just had, he was starting to, his eyes were starting to be open. And I saw, you know, slowly but surely, I began to see a change in him. Maybe it was three years or four years after we were married, he experienced God for himself. 
Mm. And I remember he had told me, he was like, you know, I want to get baptized. He's never had a hard time being around church. And he began to seek God for himself. And, um, you know, we pray together every night and just hearing once upon a time, my husband trying to piece a prayer together. You know, it was when we first got married, we would only pray on New Year's Eve. Like we would pray going into the new year. Yeah. And you know, that, that prayer, you know, that struggle prayer when, you know, it's like they trying to figure out what to say, but you, you, you want to love them and just let them say the prayer and to hear, you know, my husband, as now I see him as a man of God, like to pray. I mean, it's yeah. just, I know, I know that, um, you know, God put us together for a reason. So, you know, I'm always leery of telling people what to do and not to do when it comes to dating and things of that yeah. nature, because you never know why God puts you in someone else's life. But I know for us, it worked out well. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. We're going to take a quick turn and talk more about your professional side. When we spoke, you you talked about your uh, history in education. You had quite a a long tenure in education, Mm -hmm. but then you pivoted. And I want to talk about that pivot and what you're doing now and your platform. I, I taught at a private, well, not a private school, a public charter school in Washington, D.C. And the school, because it was a public charter school, we had to, um, you know, renew our charter. By the time we were renewing our charter again, there were some issues that came up and they pretty much gave the school fair warning that there was a chance that we weren't going to remain open. And it was a really, really amazing school in the inner city of Southeast DC that, you know, educating black children. And so it was something that the community as a whole, you know, we really were passionate about those children. Like we were passionate about the families mm-hmm. and uh, we appealed it and they gave us another year. And then by that, that next year, they told us for sure, like, yeah, the school's going to close. And pretty much the teachers were told, like, if you want to keep your job, you have to reapply. And here I was like, I've been in this building, like we came from another building, we watched this building be built and renovated for us to take over, like to, you know, reapply for our jobs. To me, it was a slap in the face. Yeah. And I was just like, nope, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way I can do this. And so for me at the time when the school was about to close, I was being offered so many opportunities because of my YouTube presence. Um, to work with the network and, you know, to get different sponsorships and paid ads and all these different things were becoming available to me. And so I was like, you know, maybe I can just see what happens. Like what would happen if this was no longer my plan A, you know, making something else my plan A. And so obviously, you know, I was married um, at the time when these things were happening and I, you know, went to my husband and we had a conversation about it and uh, my husband was doing really well financially as far as his job was concerned. So we were okay. And he was in full support. And I told the school, I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I won't be back. And it was always for me. I mean, I was, even while I was a full-time teacher, I was a makeup artist, freelance makeup artist on the side. I've always done something else entrepreneurial wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like a brand new, you know, a brand new idea that I was taking on. It was just such a major decision. Um, And because we didn't have any children at the time, you know, when you're thinking about like health insurance and all the other things, it was a major decision that we um, 
decided to make. So a year, not even a full year after walking away from the school, I was working with brands and doing a lot of different things and paying my bills, you know, still continuing to pay bills. And the next thing you know, I got pregnant. (laughs) And when I got pregnant with Cam, our oldest daughter, um, because I have lupus, everything kind of shut down. It was a really, really hard time. It was a very high risk, super just difficult pregnancy, honestly. And um, I wasn't able to most days even get out of bed, much less record a video and edit it, you know. And um, yeah, it was during my time away, you know, being a mom that I really started to think about new ways to help other women, like other moms who were experiencing the same things where, you know, you were really getting into the swing of things, or maybe you really knew for sure what you wanted to be doing next um, on social media. uh, But then you really had to find that balance as a wife and a mom now, and as an entrepreneur, how to do it. And you know, really thinking about ways that I can help other women. And that's pretty much, you know, where I've gone. You know, that's the pivot that I've made. But now I just, I'm really excited all the time about working with new women. I have a six-week course that I teach um, women how to use their social media presences to really up-level their content and present themselves with different opportunities to, you know, become entrepreneurs online. And this week was one of those weeks where the women were able to like share their hearts and share their experiences. And, you know, just hearing, you know, the growth that these women have experienced um, and, you know, just understanding their value as creators. I think a lot of times, because when we started out on social media, for me, it was really new. Like I've been on social media for 10 years. Um, And so it was really new when, especially for the black girl creators, um, a lot of times it's one of those cliche, you know, influencing is one of those cliche kind of titles, whereas now it's become something that is actually acknowledged, identified and appreciated and oftentimes even applauded. And so for me, I'm I'm really passionate about ex- um, expressing to women the value in identifying their voices and not just using social media to like, you know, share, you know, outfits of the day pictures or like, you know, half-naked pictures to get you know likes and stuff like that but actually identifying the real um, passion behind their projects and really identifying like who the people are that God has called them to speak to and how they can really show um, their true lives and their true selves um, on their platforms to grow communities that ultimately grow other people where it's not about what you can get out of it because you know, the growth will come if you're consistently providing this content, but actually identifying the value and helping other people through the yeah. content. Even for me, it, and I, again, it started with me understanding that once upon a time, the girl who was molested and grew up in a single mm-hmm. parent home and, you know, didn't really understand why, you know, so many times I would ask God, like, what am I supposed to do with this and how? Because I don't know what else to do, you know, and I can't do much more. And now as an, as a grown adult, um, being able to understand that God will use the wreck to, you know, really uh, be your testimony and grow someone else. You know, there is a world of darkness all around us and people are longing for someone to turn on the light. And yeah. the light for each of us is our story. You know, mm. tell your story, turn on the light because you would be surprised how many people would not only value it, but would actually be inspired and encouraged by it. I can't even tell you 
how many times I've posted something or shared a story um, or an experience. And people have DM me like, I wanted to take my life. I wanted to take my life today. And had I not seen your post or your story and been encouraged by what you shared, I don't know that I would have done it. I would have made it through the night. You know, so when you understand the value in telling your story, um, you know, because it's a testimony. God didn't just pull you through it to just leave you to just be out here and doing it by yourself. You know, the the goal is for us to grow communities and continue to, you know, push it out to other people and, you know, empower other people. It's healing. I've had so much healing in telling what my experiences in life have been. That's the value for me. That's that's what I'm like always super, super excited about. Yeah, it sounds like it's healing and it sounds like from like when we started our conversation to where we are now, you can see feel and sense the arc that has happened mm-hmm. in your story. It's powerful when you're speaking from that place because you talk about the pain and you talk about where you were falling short and how you could, were growing. And it sounds like you're putting all of that into this the courses mm-hmm. for these women. I absolutely applaud what you're doing. That It's amazing. Why do you matter? I matter because because God says I matter. And because, or he desires to use me to show other women that they matter too. Um, because he, he shown me that I matter. And now um, I have to show other women that as well. I'm, I'm big on paying it forward. I am Brie Islar, and I am disrupting balance by living and displaying my authentic life unapologetically and encouraging other women to do the same. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm disrupting balance, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balance Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon.